0: Hey, in this Bluntcast, we sit down with Nikhil Savah. He's one of the founding members of Reclaim Philadelphia, and he's also running for Pennsylvania's senatorial seat for District 1, which includes a chunk of Philadelphia. Hope everyone's safe, and enjoy.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Good Times. Yo, this is Greg, and uh, who knows where Reeve is I, I, Well, he'll be here any minute. He's he's at the beach, and it's a beautiful night. So we're not gonna we're not gonna rush him. Uh, he'll get here when he gets here. But we're excited to have our guest tonight. Uh, we are uh, talking with a man that. Um, the thenation.com recently called the most interesting politician in Philadelphia. He's already annoyed. How about that? And uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to find out how that has changed uh, his life. We're going to talk a little bit about his book because he's written a book, I believe, about um, offices in the United States. And I'm kind of fascinated to hear what he thinks the difference in offices is going to be coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, a lot to talk about tonight. We're excited to have Nikhil Saval. Nikhil, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk. Uh, first of all, you're in the you're up against Larry Farnese, and um, you're up against somebody for Vince Fumo's old seat. So we're we're carrying on a very interesting tradition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, depending on where you're coming from, but like um, Farnese is kind of considered by a lot of people when you compare him to um, Philadelphia politics, to be fairly left wing. So you're running left of that. Why why was that the seat that you decided to run for? And um, do you feel like he's already somebody that's fairly left?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. A number of people have asked that. (laughs) Well, so in terms of running for a seat, I mean, you sort of run... You run where you live, and I, you know, I, I, so I, I, I hadn't planned on hunting districts and trying to find a place. I mean, I, I hadn't moved to this to this area to try to, to try to find a, a place to run for office, but um, I did feel that as someone, so I, you know, I come into this as we mentioned our, my book. I'm a writer. I'm a journalist. I write about I write for magazines and I write about architecture. I write about housing, but I've also just done a lot of organizing in philadelphia um i i was an organizer with unite here the hotel workers hospitality workers union i co-founded a progressive group called reclaim philadelphia um out of the which came out of the bernie sanders campaign in 2016 and i was elected ward leader in south philly in the second ward where i live in queen village bella vista um the new wave which is in the background over there is just the is the is just at the heart of uh of the second ward, it's the, the beating heart of the ward. And so we, you know, I've just been part of the movement for change in the district and uh, and in community organizing and boosting turnout in our area and in getting more and more people involved. And so I just feel that this is this district, the center, the district that Senator Farnese is the incumbent in, which is uh, Center City, South Philly, East of Broad Street. Um, it's also got the River Wards, Fairmount, Brewery Town, parts of Brewery Town, Graduate Hospital, Chinatown, runs southwest along the all the way to the airport. It's basically the district in Philadelphia, in my opinion. And it should just be the leading district. And I think people who are... um, People who... You know, we should have a senator who is active and who is the the leading senator in Pennsylvania. And I have a lot of respect for... um, For Senator Farnese and a lot of what he's done. But I just feel that we... Um, we could have we could do more we could have a senator who is proposing legislation in about housing about climate change we could have a, a senator who is bringing more money to affordable housing in the district we could have a senator who um, has uh not been indicted uh, that would be that would be that would be an not achievement
1: right direction. Uh, well but, i mean the last 3 yeah, have
0: been yeah, indicted or arrested right
1: yeah yeah unicorn yeah, kind of, in philadelphia politics <laughs> yeah uh, are like, I mean
0: anything can happen.
1: Oh, who's Mr. Fancy with his lack of convictions? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, no, only two are convicted. Larry was acquitted.
1: Okay. All right, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. But,
0: I mean, if he know. can avoid arrest, that'd be great or indictment, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um so, anything can happen. so, you know, let's let let's take a step back and you said, you know, this was born out of the Bernie Sanders campaign. How how did Reclaim Philadelphia come to be?
2: So it basically came out of uh, all of us, the staff. Uh, I was a volunteer, a lead volunteer in 2016 for, for the Sanders campaign, um, launched canvases from my house, from my living room. And, you know, I really, I, I fell kind of head over heels, not, not, ex- not even just for the candidate exactly, but just for the experience of campaigning and canvassing. Just because it brought you into closer contact with your neighbors and you just, I mean, it just, it took you out of your head. I think a lot of people in these elections, they're online, they're debating people, debating people that they know, or they're debating people just in kind of like shadow boxing with people online. But you just have to, you're forced to just meet people and have conversations with people you wouldn't otherwise meet when you knock on doors for for a candidate. And so all of us came away from that experience with a strong feeling that there was a, a progressive majority in Philadelphia and it just needed to be organized. So in the second ward where I live, we, we, Sanders drew even, um, with Hillary Clinton and he won South of us in the first ward. And that came not just, that wasn't just by accident. It came from our efforts. And so we knew that actually organizing works basically. And so we wanted to keep it going. We wanted to keep the gang together. And so we kept meeting and trying to figure out what it was that we could do. And that's how we came up with the idea I mean, we, I think we stole the name Reclaim. There's a Reclaim Chicago, and we're like, we'll call ourselves Reclaim Philadelphia, and then it stuck. Even after some of us were like a little worried about it, it's done. It's just, it's our name, and right. we feel we're we, it has a certain edge to it. Um, and we, you know, we we just wanted to campaigns come and go. I mean, presidential campaigns circ cycle through, and they, you know, they knock on your door fifty times, and then they leave. Right, And then people don't respond to that that well. You have to build something from the ground up. And so that's why we founded Reclaim. And so it came out of that. I think it came out of that experience of enjoying the organizing work, but wanting to to create an institution that would sustain it beyond any particular
0: campaign. It's, re- it's really had an impact on local politics too, with city council seats and district attorney and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that has
2: been, I mean, we, in 2016, You know, there were about 50 of us who kind of came together and paid. We had a due system, and we kind of that was our group of people. We managed to pull some Sanders volunteers into the 2016 to canvas, you know, essentially for Hillary Clinton. We were also fighting to elect a a state rep candidate in Northeast Philly um, named Joe Hohenstein, who won not in 2016, but he won in 2018. Um, But the biggest thing that we did was to support Larry Krasner for district attorney. We played some part, role in recruiting him, in fact, to run for district attorney. And we were the, among the first organizations to endorse him. We knocked on something like 90,000 doors to get him elected. And that was an earthquake in Philly politics. You know, We just have to remember, he's been the district attorney now for three years, but um, he had never been a prosecutor. He had sued the police 75 times. I think he called, you know, he just had done a lot of things that would not make him suitable for elected office in various ways. And, like, I think he, like, he was referred to as unelectable in various ways. But then he became the front runner pretty quickly. And not not only that, I mean, the whole election, he pulled everyone to his side. And so that was incredible. And I think once we did that, it was citywide. I think all of us were like, well, what else can we do now? And so we helped... um, recruit and support a candidate for state office in South Philly, Elizabeth Fiedler, who became a state representative. We supported candidates for uh, election in the suburbs. Danielle Friel-Otten, Joe Hohenstein won. They flipped districts, you know, that were formerly Republican. Um, We supported Kendra Brooks for city council, the first independent city council person in Philadelphia history, working families party candidate. We, um, you know, Isaiah Thomas, who won for uh, election this last year, and we've supported the reelection of Helen Gimp. And so we've, we've done, we've done a lot, but I think it's, those are candidates. though those reflect the, those reflect the, uh, the successes of the movement, but the other success is just that the institution has survived. A lot of these things tend to come and go and we've, we've stayed. Right.
1: right. You know? Yeah. Because this is a, you know, Philadelphia is a machine town and, right. You're obviously, you know, the whole statement about fighting City Hall, nowhere is that more true than Philadelphia, where these things have been entrenched over the last 50, 60 years. And so when you're coming in to try to be a ward leader, they're not exactly welcoming you with open arms, because you're you're, you're basically, you know, it's almost, (laughs) you know,
0: I mean, who is this guy, some outsider, some fancy guy coming from (laughs) (laughs) LA and then New York City?
1: Right. Right. I mean, that's, that, that, Come on. Uh, you know how
0: we are. We don't even, Johnny's been here 20 years and we still don't really embrace yeah, it. They still,
1: yeah. They still bust my chops. Oh, you're not real Philly. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> right. so, you know, I, it, it had to have not been easy, you know, to get that word seat because that's not how Philly politics moves. Philly politics moves at a very entrenched level where, you know, you don't move out until you die. And then you're replaced by your, you know, your son. I hope
2: to continue that tradition. We have, we're raising a toddler. <laughs> he's going to take, he's going to take care of this ward when I'm, when right, I'm old. right.
1: Yeah. Um, but how, how in the world did you get in there and how, how harsh was the opposition to it? Or is that just sort of a rumor that that's how hard it is to get into that?
2: You know, it's not, it's so it's, it, it was hard and it wasn't hard. I mean, I, so it's hard, obviously. I, I'd say what wasn't hard is that, you know, a lot of these things seem entrenched, but what is entrenching them is not hard work, exactly. It's like loyalty, trust, and um, and just familiarity, right? I mean, that, that's not always true. A lot of people, uh, you know, and I, I'll be talking about this in a bit, but I, I have gained some a good deal of respect, I would say, um, or just admiration, maybe for the for some of the the kind of what what people would refer to as the machine or or what have you like, I get I get it, I get a lot of the staying power of it. Um, But you just if you if any of those things starts to fray, if the trust breaks, the loyalty breaks, if they're not and then fundamentally, if they're not working very hard, then you can just outwork people. And so with the second ward, um, I just thought, they're not working very hard. People don't really know who their committee people are. They don't know, they don't know what's going on in any elections. Like you, they put out endorsements and those endorsements don't carry in the ward. Something else happens. Larry Krasner wasn't endorsed by the second ward. Bernie Sanders wasn't endorsed by the second ward, but we could just push and knock doors. And without a, without an infrastructure, without any support, we could do it. I mean, uh, I mean, without, you know, the local party support that is. And so, That's what I did. I just, we just worked harder. We, I recruited 40 people to run. That was an insane amount of work. We, we just, I just had so many coffees at Shot Tower Coffee and Sixth and Christian with so many people and just asked them to run for committee person and just, and you, and that's a lot of work in the sense that people don't want to, they don't you know, they're like me, I should run for office. Like it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of guts to do that, I think. And even just for a very local small office, you got to not, you got to talk to all your neighbors. You know what I mean? Like you're the people you see every day and you could lose. And um, that's even in a way it's like, it has more, it's just tighter and it's closer to you than, um, than running for even running for state Senate. I mean, I think it's just, or let alone a, a bigger office. And so they all ran We 33 people were elected and we, and we won just because we, we knocked more doors and we like worked harder. Um, and that was, and so you start to push at, it looks like a closed door, but the door is cracking, it's like falling apart and you just really got to break it in. And I think that's, that's, that's how we, I was elected. I didn't actually run to be war leader. I just wanted to change the local party. And because I led the effort, I was the natural person to be elected. But it wasn't. It wasn't with an intention of myself of promoting myself. It was an intention of promoting more people, um, and then and then I had to lead it.
0: So how did I, you how did you come to the decision to leave, leave the world lucrative world of freelance writing and try and become a senatorial <laughs> candidate? <laughs> um,
2: well, it's just you know uh, the the why why did I do it the the um, the issue. I mean, for me, it was it was a sense of. I, I would I would say that I had not intended to ten years ago, certainly if you had asked me whether I would run for office, I would have said no. Maybe even you know five years ago for you like it, it's not a, it's not a long-term ambition of mine. Um, but it has the experience of doing all this work has been great. I just like it, honestly. like I really like it. I like the it makes me happy. I like the organizing, I like the community. I've, Philly you know we mentioned I'm not from here. But it's mm-hmm. the first place I felt at it home. It's actually, it's a, it's
0: a pretty welcoming city, which is not its reputation. Shh, no, like no, don't be saying that. Don't let people weird. hear that. Yeah, we yeah, hate, but, we but, hate but, foreigners. <laughs> we hate people from other cities, not yeah. foreigners, but people from New York, especially. Right.
1: Yeah. right. Like I'm Greg from, from Los
2: Angeles. It's not New York. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Right. I was like
1: Greg uh, not much better. Uh, okay. No, but, it's not. try it's not. to protect that oh don't come here we're mean but <laughs> yeah, I yeah. yeah. no
2: i don't sorry no it's a terrible it's a, it's a really <laughs> yes really perfect. mean place um no it's just uh we we built a community i'm like so proud to be i'm you know i'm raising my son a
0: sixers fan which is really good nice. every bone in my body i just have to <laughs> Um, but well, that's proper I mean, parenting. I mean, you can right. be a Lakers fan, but he, born here, needs to be a Sixers fan. It's true. It's true. We can't. I mean, he can't be a Lakers fan. Yeah,
1: I, no, he can't. I wouldn't. He can't, I wouldn't force that. He can't be a terrible person, and right. I think, that's and, and probably bullied, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, and so it's just you know I think that has been part of it, and so wanting to wanting to put all that work into into action and wanting to feel that you know and then feeling and it's a it's certainly more negative way to put this is being a ward leader and dealing with state officials dealing with political officials in uh, in harrisburg you're just you suddenly start to feel like years and years of this has demoralized so many people or they've lost their way or they're just not ambitious or they don't recognize the potential of their district or the people they work with maybe they've lost they've lost touch with them they move solely among a set of like elites and institutions and they, like, don't, they're not, they don't seem to want to do anything exciting with their job. And granted, we have, like, crazy Republicans in Harrisburg who are trying to Stein it, who, I mean, are trying to kill us all. Like, I mean, literally, you know, at this point. And so we, we just have to, it's not, a, it's not easy, but I just feel like we, that was, I was like, no, we deserve better. And I, I want, I need better for, for us. I need better for my family. I need better for the people I know. And so, it didn't have to be me. I, that's the other thing is I feel like someone posed it to me. They're like, what about you running for this seat? And I I didn't horrify me. And so, and then I I started to do it. I started to raise money. I started to do all the things that are like, are, you know, not the fun part of this. And I didn't, I liked it, I guess. I don't, I, raising money is not something you should say that you like, but it's just, you know, just the whole aspect of campaigning. I, I liked and. And I've always liked the policy side of it. I've always liked the organizing side. And so those are the kind of key things that you need. You need to be able to build relationships. You need to um, develop policy and you need to be able to campaign. And and I, I like all of those things. So
1: One thing that I, I read, there was a political article in March that was more or less, how are we going to come out of the COVID-19 you know, how will we be different on the other side? And, and they interviewed a lot of different uh, intellectuals and so forth. And somebody said, there's going to be a lot more respect for government work. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that, you know, because we've seen over the last couple months, government just consistently fall down and uh, fail, I mean, you know, and and on a, especially on a federal level, but I think we've seen some of it and some depending on which state and depending on which city. Um, Do you think that maybe coming out of this, young people will say, you know what, I'm not just going to try to make as much money as possible. I'm going to try to make the country a better place.
2: I think so. I think that's, I think that precedes the the crisis a little bit. I think, you know, I saw that in the Sanders campaign. I mean, I'm, I, in a way I'm on the older end of a lot of, I'm 37. Um, of, I mean, a lot of, I just, I have a lot of friends now who are a lot younger because of the Sanders campaign. And so it's, it's, um, I just, I was really impressed at the time. I was like, wow, I was like, they're like, the, everyone is so much more hopeful than I was at even at you know, I'm more hopeful now. I would say, and I was than I was when I was 22. And Maybe that's just a feature of being in your 20s, or that's what I thought. But actually, everyone is. They just believe in stuff, and they and they will act on it and fight for it in a way that I didn't at the time. And so, um, I think that precedes the crisis, and some of that is the the legacy of the financial crisis, the Iraq War, the um, and the sort of deepening recognition of what climate change, and so with COVID 19 one thing that you see is that a lot of the things that we had been asking for as a movement or what have you um, can be done. You can expand unemployment can be benefits.
1: accessible overnight.
2: Overnight, what? right?
1: After decades of fighting for it, overnight it suddenly became accessible.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you're just like oh, paid leave, like they passed it. Like, it's just like, you know, they just did it. And they're like, and it's like eviction moratorium. Like, we're not going to kick you out of your house. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, we're not going to shut off your access to potable water. And so then it just makes sort of sense to be like, is it ever a good time to shut it off? Is it ever, does it ever make sense to shut off access to water? Like, and Mm -hmm. so you start to ask those questions. And I think, and then it's so both the expectations of what we deserve, and the expectations of what government can do—it can spend a trillion dollars. It can do it, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, it, like so. All the questions about like how, how, but where's where? How can we pay for it? It's like right. it's just—it's overnight. It turns out, yeah, like you can pay for no, we have trillions, and it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right, we just right. borrow, and we yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, it's not—it's not, it's not it, like it's not. There are lots of things that aren't great about the recovery plans, and like there's still it's still being fought over, and. I think it's not, it's not a done by any means, a foregone conclusion, but I think it's just, I do feel optimistic. And you know, the other thing I feel optimistic about is just like the resilience of people. Give us, give us, oh, sorry.
1: Give us, give us some optimism because I think for a lot of us, this is a pretty dark day. Yeah. The, the, the thought is, you know, we see these guys show up with AR-15s on the Capitol steps of our gov- state government. And it's like, the bad guys are winning and it's really hard to be optimistic. So give us, give us some optimism.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that stuff is not, you know, there aren't that many of those people. I feel like they, they get, this is the other problem is like people do this and they get it. They get a lot of attention from the right, media right. and like, yeah. and, but if nurses show up on the Capitol, like it's just, it's just not covered, even though um, right. there are thousands more nurses than there are.
1: Sure.
2: Yeah, and so, but so that's part. But I think also the resilience of people and the what the creativity of people in this moment. Um, I'm really impressed by what's going on in South Philly. There's this mutual aid Philly group. I think it's also South Philly and Center City that does grocery drop-offs. It does like cash payments to people who are undocumented and left out of the system. Um, it's just like made. It does like it, it's just made filled in the gaps of like the huge gaps and I w- if I filled in, I mean, it started to try to fill them in. Right. Sure. Um, but that's without being able to talk to people, without being able to see them, without being able to, I mean, just we should forget. We can't forget how difficult it is to do what we're doing um, in a moment when we cannot go outside and I mean like, and talk to people in the way that we would. I mean, I just actually ran into neighbors when I was just like running in mask on to the grocery store to get some coffee and like, I was like, I could just communicate things very quickly. I was just like, you guys got to vote by mail. I just told them this. And like, they actually hadn't, they hadn't gotten the message and they agreed to do it. And I was like, oh, like, it would just be great if I could just do this. And we can't do it. But even so, we're actually able to achieve a lot. And so I think that's the, like the sheer creativity of what we're able to do in a moment when we cannot see each other is, is really the, 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 guiding light for me here.
0: Yeah, like times like this when you can't really canvas th- is that an advantage to to the incumbent that you guys can't get out there and knock on doors as much? So, you know, we thought that it would be um honestly, like we thought that it would be cuz you
2: know, we believe in it. We that's mm-hmm. what I that's our tradition as I described, like I came out of that. And so not being able to do it certainly for about a week or two, we were very just disconcerted even though our team, our campaign staff very quickly got on the phones and we were making phone calls like thousands of phone calls. So we we're ready to do it and like but um but we're all in the same position and TV and all that stuff like doesn't really since we're all on the phones, like you know, my opponent is on TV constantly. Mm-hmm. He's on he's he's just blanketing the district in mail, he's just raised boatloads of money from developers and fossil fuel companies and you know what have you. And so like and we don't, we haven't we don't we don't take that money and to be clear, we haven't been offered. Money, in, but we would not take it if they if they offered it to us. Right. And um, and it'd be nice for
0: them to offer it, though, just to turn I know, it at down. At least
2: so I could reject it.
0: Yeah, so, right, right. You know, thank you for the offer, but no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> offer, but no. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> very <laughs> thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's
0: just nice to be wanted.
1: You know?
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, we. It's just. I mean, there's. It's just not. Uh, we're able to persuade people on the phones and we have a different method. I mean, it's not, it's not the same as talking to people in person, but we appeal to the same set of conversations and people are just, it's like the phones are worse when you can, when you can canvas of calling people on the phone is a worse option. It's not as good, right. but when it's the only option, it's fine. You know, it's just like, it's actually, it's totally fine. And actually everyone is, everyone is doing it. And so, and that's, and if you're, if you have the hundreds of volunteers supporting it, you, if you have the authentic enthusiasm behind you, that, that it's, it's, that's all you need, you know? I mean, it's that, and I mean, it helps to be able to put mail in, I mean, that's not the only way to contact people, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't, it, you can, you can somewhat replace it.
1: Well, I want to I roll back a little bit and let's talk. You released a book called uh, Cubed back in 2015 right. that was talking about life, uh, office life. And I think this was before you even were thinking about politics. But you released a book about office life. And I'm kind of fascinated by the future of the country when it comes to that, because we've got, I, I feel like a lot of people are suddenly figuring out, oh, I don't need to fly to Wichita to be at that meeting. Mm-hmm. I can, everything I need to say can be said on Zoom or whatever. Um, what do you think the impact is going to be as somebody that's actually studied this? What do you think the impact is going to be in terms of how people communicate for business?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, you know, so going back to the, as someone who, who's studied the history of actually of working from home, I mean, obviously, like it goes further back than the history of the office because people used to, One, people work from home still, domestic labor, all that stuff is still true. But I feel that um, it was, you know, the original reason to kind of pioneer working from home was someone in Los Angeles was just like traffic stops here in the 70s. Like that's when it was like early 70s. And like, they're like, can we figure out a way? And they had this very rudimentary networking system. And in the 80s, a lot of people thought that like in the future, there would be no cities at all. We would all just have these electronic villages across the country, and we would just be networked. And then, so that didn't turn out to be true. So, like, I i mean, actually, cities became more important in some ways, and more parts of cities are actually resemble offices. So, like, cafes, and, like, we carry our offices everywhere in various ways, and, like, we do office work everywhere. So, so one, I'm just sort of has, hesitant to make predictions, but I think the thing is, what happens with these things is that you start; to, it starts to clarify what offices are for, and so I think it just puts more pressure on offices to do, to be like more to deliver more things. So I think what's likely to happen is a lot of companies are going to shrink their office footprint. Right. So that was already a trend. I think they were like, except in like New York or places where they were like booming, lots of companies starting out. Other places were converting office space to condos and things like that. That's what was happening, right. and so I think there's going to be. And you know the cubicle, the the which is was one of the kind of heart of my book, the study of the cubicle, um, has gotten smaller and smaller over the years because not because just because the offices like skimp on office space for employees. So I think they're just going to like have less of it, and you're going to be required probably less to go to go into work less. But I'm not super optimistic. I got to say I feel like there's going to be ways that people can track you at home. I mean, it's not it's not like. Corporate America is not like a friendly place. They're not. They're not like. And so, just because they let you work from home, doesn't mean they're not going to find ways to kind of like follow you around. I mean, we're already followed around with ads and all that stuff, and yeah. all our devices are listening in on us. I mean, it's not that hard. <laughs> I think. And so, we should be. Even though I think there will be more working from home and more kind of fluid arrangements, uh, we shouldn't be. We should be a little wary of it. I think. Uh, and like just the only thing that ever changes office environments for the good is people really acting collectively to change them. So uh, that was the other kind of theme of my book is like, I always wondered like why office workers didn't organize in the same way that in America anyway, in the same way that they, that blue collar workers did, or, you know, just, or like, you know, you just had strikes and stuff. You just never really had that in office spaces, but there were instances like in the seventies administrative assistants, then called secretaries were largely women. We're like, well, this sucks. I'm sick of making coffee for my boss all the time. I'm sick of doing his dry cleaning. I'm sick of, like, being a therapist and a psychological help. And then I'm sick of being harassed. So there was actually organizing around secretaries and to, to stop that. And then it kind of changed the whole nature of harassment. And I mean, it just it changed the workplace completely. And so that was, that's how these things change, I think, is ultimately like people just deciding that they have to take control of that. That may happen this time. And if it does, that would be great. And, but I, it's, un, uh, without that happening, it's not gonna be, I don't know that it's, the expectations may change around how people work, but yeah, mainly yeah. cost cutting is the thing that drives off. Right, right, right yeah. yeah, I was so.
1: wondering, you know, between between that, what you've researched with that and what you've now done with, you know, with the Bernie campaign and with your own uh, Reclaim Philly stuff, You know, you guys are on, you know, you're obviously very in tune with workers, but that's getting ready to change dramatically because we've just, you know, lost over 30% of the workforce. So what, you know, do you foresee, and here's something that I'm always on the fence about, is it going to be a thing where people are only going to hire back certain people and everybody else is going to get left behind? Or do you think that workers are only going to come back if they come back with more power? And, and I'm really curious about how that... Because, you know, obviously it's it's going to be sort of a buyer's market because there's <laughs> everybody's unemployed. So right. you get you go, who's out there, you know? But at the same time, I also get the impression that it's going to be pretty bad PR for companies to say, oh, we're going to bring back good people and pay them like crap because we can Right.
2: We, yeah, I, it's a choice. Ultimately, it's a choice that we make as a society. I think there's like, uh, I think we can... You know, there have been a lot of strikes in this moment. There have been a lot of people and and striking when tons of people are unemployed, when it's like a scary time, is like, is a really risky decision. Like it's a really,
1: I mean, it's
2: a, yeah, extremely. And so, all that kind of work is is you know, it just shows that there's a lot of in you know, Amazon warehouse workers, Whole Foods workers, like we haven't seen strikes from these sectors, Um, and. Partly it's changed that we now consider these workers or we're, we're finally considering them as essential, right? I think that's a, that's a that change in the language that we all say that now, even mm-hmm. if we may not There's mean you. it in, as, as much as we should, is a big change. Um, and we'll see how much meaning gets put into that. How, how long people continue to think of workers like nurses and but grocery store clerks and um, delivery people like, as essential. I hope, I hope a long time. And so if that continues to be true, then I think these strikes will have like broad or like, you know, actions, anything like that. People just being like, I'm not going to come back to work if I don't have hazard pay and uh, protective equipment or what have you. A lot of, there's a lot of community support for that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Right? And you know, then there more than there was. And so yeah. that's sort of the question. I mean, like how much, it's not just how much the workers can expect, but how many other people expect are willing to support them in, in particular sectors. And so um, that's always been, I think the success of worker actions is like when teachers go on strike, it's not just how much can the teachers take, but how much is, are people going to back them up? How much are parents, how much are students, how much are, yep. is the whole community going to back up this, this, this sector of the workforce? Yep. So.
0: While we got you here, I wanted to ask you about uh, an issue that some areas of Philadelphia are dealing with. Like, how do you, what are your ideas on how to improve neighborhoods without actually gentrifying them and pushing out people who've lived there for 20, 30 years? Yeah, it's uh,
2: this is a, a good question. I mean, I think, um, I think that we, we, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. I mean, having lived in a lot of cities that, um, that, that, where the gentrification was, where they're just richer. I mean, like Los Angeles, New York, I went to graduate school in San Francisco. Um, you would see the gentrification in a much faster pace. And moving to Philadelphia initially, I was like, oh, it's affordable. It's, you know, and, and but then feeling like, but then watching neighborhoods like Graduate Hospital, which was, uh, it's it was 80% black in, in like 2000, around that time, like 20 years ago. Um, working class neighborhood and and now has become 80% white and is the richest neighborhood in Philadelphia. Like that's a, that's, that's like, hey, li- hey,
0: li- Richie Rich there lives out there now.
1: Uh, no, wait, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Years ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're part of the prop notes. I, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the,
2: uh, the, you know, the issue is just like, we, I think you just need protections for people and you need waste. You just need, you need affordable housing. You need protections for renters. I think, um, I think, you know, in the last 12 years since Senator Farnese has been the Senator, we've had a billion dollars come into this district through state money. 14 million has gone to affordable housing. And like either that, I mean, that number you might think is large if it's, but it's actually only 1500 units. Um, and twenty five million dollars has gone in state funding to Comcast, for example, the Comcast mm-hmm. Tower in a single year right like just like and so you 're like, well who needs this more Comcast or the people who need affordable housing like where do we need how do wh- what are the resources that we need so we basically as a society, we need to prioritize more affordable housing instruction, and then I think we need to be considering more the rights of renters I think philly 's about I think we think about it as a lot of small landlords and homeowners, but it's actually about, it's over more than half of the people who live in Philly are renters and renters are more likely in Philly to be working class. Like they're, they're compared with homeowners partly because they don't earn wealth. You know, they're not homes are a source of wealth often. Um, and so we need, we need some form of rent stabilization so that rents are going up by some arbitrary amount in here. year. There's no, there's no, There's no cap on how much you can charge for rent. It's just the market. And that can be not the right amount. And so, but the other thing is, I just, I feel like that's scary because people think about rent control and they're like, like it didn't work, that's scary. Like it causes neighborhoods to go south. It disincentivizes new construction. If you're a landlord, you're like scared about it. Um, And it's not, you know, some of it hasn't worked before, but I think you should just think about it as, neighborhoods can thrive actually other things can come in businesses can come in retail can grow a neighborhood can grow but people can stay in their homes if they if there's like a a a cap of a certain amount and how much you're about to increase the rent doesn't mean you can't increase it at all it just is a is just it's like you can't increase it by 30 percent you know it's like not an insane like and so you just you can be creative about it you can be thoughtful about it but i think that's a big thing making sure that people aren't evicted without cause i mean there's just a lot of but like, really, yeah. They, I mean, that is the answer. There isn't like a. It's not a. It's not. It's not. In a way, it's not rocket science. It's like just build the housing. Build more housing. Build more affordable housing. Protect the people who have who are renting and who, who have their homes. And like right now, we should really be. You know, people are not. People are not able to pay their mortgages, and people are not able to pay their rents. A lot of people, or they if they pay them now, they won't pay them in a month from now or two months. Mm-hmm. And So we really need a, a program to you know, effectively to cancel mortgages and rents, to forbear them, to make sure that people don't have to pay them. It's not their fault. It's not their fault that they can't pay their rent, you know? And so um, that's, it's our society is shut down. You know, we, that's, that's what we've asked people to do. They have to stay in their homes. How do we get, how do we allow that to happen? So,
1: yeah. And, you know, you hope that, you hope that now that more people realize the fear of being a month away from, you know, going into having to pay a rent or a mortgage, I feel like a lot more people in the last two months have been faced with that for the first time in their lives. And now all of a sudden, they're like, hopefully a little bit more empathetic, you know, and say, Oh, wow, this is this is really scary, because it's never happened. But I now I can't work. And talking about a third of the country that's out of work. So I'm hoping that now that more people have faced that fear, that they're going to be a little bit more empathetic to people who face it when there's not a pandemic.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm hopeful too. I think there's, I mean, you know, there's been a little bit of, there's been a little, you know, there's been, there's been both. I've seen both. I mean, honestly, like, you know, you can, you, I hope so. I think ultimately you have, ultimately you have to, you know, this is like the organizing thing. Like you have to organize the sentiment where it exists. Like if people are, are more likely to be, there's always like antagonists and like passive allies and active people working. And you kind of have to organize the passive allies. People are not you know, actively helping renters right now, but sympathize, you know, like, how do we, how do you make that more
0: prominent? so Gotcha. you you going take it to the blunt? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All so right,
1: uh, rapid fire questions, rapid fire yeah. answers. All right. You ready? Okay.
0: Yes. Most All mostly right. there's no wrong
1: answers. Uh, yeah, but a few. Yeah. All right. So, if you played in major, if you played Major League baseball, what would your at bat music be?
2: What would my at bat music be? Uh it would be yeah, something it, to get you fired up when yeah. you're coming Oh, I well, it would be a it would be a Bollywood song. So, I'd have to cuz you know, I I Oh, just, uh, I would
1: yeah. love that. As
0: a Philadelphia Philly season ticket holder, I would love to hear a Bollywood yeah, song. Yeah, so there's a there's a good Bollywood
2: song from uh from it was called bill say it's called chaya chaya anyway everyone should look it up it's just i can't it's yeah not everyone's gonna know it but it's it's, it's a banger all
0: right, we'll all look right. It up. uh favorite philly dive bar
2: oh uh i guess i have to say new wave right no i mean
0: it is, oh, is it, that a dive i mean they, they might be a little upset to hear that a dive. <laughs> it's, always tricky.
1: it's always tricky
0: with the with the dive bar thing yeah you know they got like 24 hour <laughs> specials uh,
1: <laughs> so
0: no so neighborhood my, they're a good neighborhood bar
2: i right. So the pen and pencil is my favorite. It's I don't know. If the,
0: yeah, that's. Oh, my, late, late night guy. Pen, yeah. yeah, it's it's also it's quiet.
2: There's no music. I feel like people underestimate how nice that is when there's no when you can just like talk. It's good. Yeah, pen yeah. and pencil. All
1: right. If you hosted a late night talk show, what person, living or dead, would be your first interview?
2: Uh, what person, living or dead, would be your first interview? Uh, Rosa Luxemburg the the old uh socialist from the from the 20th century great great anyway yeah, that's how we do it would it be i don't know I, I feel like that there's probably a better answer to that but
1: right. be, I, I feel like be i'm great. probably even more familiar with the bollywood song than i ever yeah, yeah for sure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right you uh you've written for the new yorker have you ever finished an issue of the new yorker in one week I don't know if I, I can answer I should answer this on the record. No, no. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed, you just flip
2: around. You go to the movie reviews first. Yeah, but that. then the
0: next one comes, and then suddenly you got 13 piled up.
2: Yeah, 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 it's true. So, so no, no is the answer it. Uh,
1: What's it. Uh, what's your karaoke song?
2: Oh, it's, uh, it's Common People by, by Pulp.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, great song. Came from
2: Greece. <laughs> She's and, got a curse a for knowledge.
1: Ah, uh, there's a great cover by uh, what's his name uh, from Star Trek.
2: Really? What you mean, um, Kirk oh, wait, or, Shatner. The, or the other?
1: Shatter does a cover of that. Really? <laughs> oh, it's no, cool. I didn't know that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. In fact, I think I heard the the cover, and then I went back and looked at the original. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, it's a little long as a karaoke. So it's like five minutes, but it's like sometimes it. I might do. Nobody does it better. That's my uh, the James oh, Bond theme. Yeah. But that's like you know. But anyway,
0: uh, salsa or guacamole. Guacamole.
2: Uh, uh, yeah.
1: Budgets no object. What artist or group do you want playing at your birthday party?
2: Uh, live. Can it be living or dead, or it's got to be yeah,
1: living or dead? It's fine. Prince. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm bummed. Reef not here because Reef would have been all over that.
0: Uh, do you prefer out of the shower to use a robe or a towel?
2: I prefer a robe, but in fact, I just I don't ha- I don't even have one. I just good, I, good. I so like when I'm in a hotel that has a robe or something, yeah. you're like <laughs> it's really yeah. indulgent. Yeah.
1: Uh, what's a book we should all read besides Cubed? I yeah, guess besides Cubed. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, now on Amazon.com for a little <laughs> introductory rate of
2: uh what's the best what's a good book um it's a great italian novel my brilliant friend by elena ferrante
0: that's a great book everyone should read that okay yeah if you had to be one celebrity for a day who would it be
2: uh brad pitt
0: yeah strong
2: yeah i mean just especially now i feel like he's just has never seemed yeah, yeah coming into better. his groove. Just, yeah, yeah. I just like I thought he was phenomenal in uh in what's it called? Um, oh,
0: Once Upon a Time.
2: Once Upon a Time. Yeah, and like there was actually I was in, when we saw it in the movie theater. <laughs> there's a the, you know there's a scene where he's on the roof fixing like an antenna, and he takes off his shirt, and the person next to me just went ooh, like very <laughs> audibly. <laughs> like it was just like not yeah. even disguising. And I was just like, yeah, the guy is like 50 something. You know, like
0: anyway. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Usually I hear it's, it's like, ooh. Right. No, no, but this was like a... a yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, Brad uh,
1: What What advice do you give to 18-year-old you?
2: Oh, uh, what advice would I give? Um, Move to Philly sooner. Yeah. Right. Just, yes. Yeah, why did I why did I go to? I thought San Francisco was nice. It's not. It's, not <laughs> right. that, it's really not. It really sucks now. God, uh, I, if, it really is just the worst place. Everyone hates it's it. It's
1: Just everybody's either a millionaire or homeless, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's basically oh, a
1: little class in San Francisco. Right? Is that, I mean, that's what I've heard. I don't know.
2: And then and then those millionaires. I mean, all millionaires are bad, but like the wor- But g- truly, the worst group of people. Like yeah. just like. I mean, it does not get worse than the tech millionaire. Like, it doesn't. <laughs>
1: right. At least There's, old money knows how to act.
2: Yeah, you know, they've got, like, they've, yeah, the, the, the tech people, like, they just are, I mean, they invented the stupid phones that we all have to deal with. Like, they're just ruining our lives. like it's right. dead.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to see if you can give a truly political answer here. Who's better looking, me or Johnny?
2: <laughs> I want... Well, it, there's no third option. What about our, where's the, where's the third host? We, Reef, Reef's on the road. We've had yeah. to to Reef. That's why I had
0: it as easy win if Reef's here. Of course yeah. it's Reef, but now it's us two schlubs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. I, have you guys, did you, have both of you cut your hair?
0: Is this like, cause you feel you
2: look I don't short. have any hair
0: really. Well,
1: Greg doesn't have I've, hair. So I'm the guy, I,
0: I was in powder back in the day. I don't know if you saw my movie. <laughs> my wife has been
1: to me for two weeks to let her cut my hair. And I think this Do week. Do it. I, yeah, I think this weekend I'm finally going to let it happen.
2: So my, yeah, my wife is not, is not excited about it. I'm like, I'm ready to let her just go ha- do it. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm you know. See, but he, he, just, he, he do passed.
0: It. You see how good he was? He didn't answer. He deflected to the
1: up. hair. I know. Yeah,
2: he found a different answer. the question that I want you to have asked. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it was great talking to you, Nikhil. We appreciate yeah. you coming on.
2: Thank you, man. Good thank luck. You so was, much. Uh, such a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hope to
2: see you in person at some point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Twenty twenty two. See ya there. All right. You there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Later. Thank Bye. you so much. Such a
0: pleasure. Take care. See you.
1: Thanks, buddy. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Yo, yo. Welcome to the home of brotherly love. Brothers covered in blood. The man's office is covered in bugs. The youth dreams cut short.